Hello, everybody, and welcome back for episode five of the Pragmatic Anarchist podcast. To me, your boy, Mohawk Joey. I have here with us today, Jordan Romanus. Uh, he works for the uh, Restaurant Opportunity Center United. Uh, their office is based out of New York, but they have centers all over the country. Uh, and to get right into it, I'm just going to hand it to him and let him tell you what the organization he works for is all about and what his role there is. Well, thank you, Joey, for having us on today. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, I'm with the Restaurant Opportunity Centers United. We are a uh, national restaurant worker rights organization. We actually started out about 20 years ago. Um, our organization uh, started after 9-11. There was a fine dining uh, uh, restaurant on top of the World Trade Center Center called Windows on the World. And it was a, a unionized restaurant through the Labor Union Unite here. Um, as folks know, you know, a lot of people didn't survive uh, that tragedy, but those who did went on to create a temporary relief center uh, that later became our organization, help people find new jobs, uh, you know, financial resources, other types of resources. Uh, and since then, we have expanded to being about 10 different cities and states, but we really have a national presence. Um, we take on policy work. We're trying to raise the minimum wage, tip minimum wage, paid sick days. We also do workplace campaigns, making sure people are respected in the workplace. Uh, then we also have a workforce development arm, which is really like bartending classes, culinary classes. And it's really meant to give opportunities to those folks who normally don't have a chance to like move up in the industry. So you think of a lot of dishwashers, people working in the back of the house who are stuck on a, you know, a low minimum wage um, is to help them move up in the industry for a better paying job. That's, that's awesome. So the the start of the organization there, uh, that's part of the story I didn't even know yet. So the windows on the world, that was, uh, I've heard of that restaurant. And I imagine that the post 9-11 uh, scene in New York, uh, kind of like I'm currently in post-hurricane in uh, South Florida right now. And seeing the change in the way uh, everything around you is uh, in a situation like that, uh, there's probably a lot of stories of hope, a lot of, uh, despair too, like, uh, you know, losing loved ones to an event like that. Uh, you know, and then the, the lesser, uh, things that you really don't think of, like, where do all those people who worked in that building that weren't there that day go for their job the next day? Uh, how do you deal with the trauma of a crisis in that? So tell me a little bit about how you guys, uh, you said you formed out of that. So how did that come about? Yeah, so as I mentioned, it was through the Labor Union Unite here, um, and then a few folks really got the organization started. Uh, their names were Saru, Jayaraman, uh, Fakak Mamdu, who was one of the workers there, and a shop steward, and then also Seiku Sibi, uh, who actually is now our executive director. He was the first member of the organization. He worked at the restaurant, uh, and then he you know, worked his way up through our organization. Now he's been running it for the past few years. Um, so I think, you know, they from the beginning kind of knew that worker rights were very important as they had a really good paying job in a unionized restaurant, which as folks know, is really rare. Um, and now we have the opportunity to try to push that throughout the rest of the industry for better paying jobs, a better industry for everyone. Um, and it's a, it's a long slog, but you know, things are slightly improving. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's part of why we have to advocate for ourselves, right? Like, if if we're if we're planning on expecting for our bosses in these situations to to have our rights uh, at heart in a capitalist society, that's not really how that works. I mean, that's where the union movement came about when it originally started. Right? Was workers who were being taken advantage of and disadvantaged by uh, the people who held the power and the money 
uh, finally stood up and started speaking together and to help each other. Uh, when someone say is having an issue, how do they contact your organization to get started? Like, let's say me here in uh, Florida, I don't live in a union friendly state. Uh, people scoff at the idea of workers having any agency for themselves. Uh, if let's say the message I sent you earlier, I told you about my previous work experience with this. Uh, what would be my next step for you guys to help me uh, do something with that? Yeah. So, you know, we have a really awesome team. Most of our folks come from the restaurant industry who now work for the organization. So we have a personal understanding of how shady employers can be, how difficult it is to organize and get the back of the house and the front of the house together. Um, so we have like a real personal sense of kind of the dynamics. Um, if someone's having an issue in their workplace, we always set up a personal one-on-one phone call, or if they just want to do it through text, that's fine. Um, we'll kind of go through all the basic issues uh, we kind of figure out, um, is this something that can be handled through an informal conversation with the, the manager? Does it need to be what we call like a demand letter or a petition where people sign on to it? Um, it kind of escalates all the way until people, it's quite rare, but we are seeing more and more people going on strike. So that's kind of like the specific workplace uh, angle. In some states where there is stronger policy and legislation, we may take a, a legal approach. Um, we'll partner with some like legal networks that we know. Um, but it all starts with an informal conversation, uh, kind of map out the whole workplace and kind of understand the, the nitty gritty details. Okay. That makes sense. Cause sometimes, sometimes in a situation like that, maybe it's bad owners, maybe it's just one problem manager that you can have a uh, talk with, you know, and sometimes it turns out that maybe like, sometimes I know I'm the asshole, right? So like <laughs> you, you sort of do a one-on-one -on -one and figure out what is the situation and then proceed from there. Because uh, yeah. every situation is going to be different, um, and you said you're in the you're in the the sort of outreach part. You you have ten offices. Where where are the offices located, and uh, how do how do each of them support the organization? Yeah, so we are in New York City, where we've been founded. We are in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, where I live, Washington D.C. Uh, in the South, we are in Jackson, Mississippi, Nashville, Tennessee, and New Orleans. Uh, further in the Midwest, we are in Detroit, uh, the Twin Cities, St. Paul, Minneapolis. Um, and then further west, we are in Los Angeles and the Bay. That's where we have like staff on the ground providing real support. Um, and so each chapter kind of operates a bit independently. A lot of times they have like their own connections with uh, – the Department of Labor, OSHA, EEOC, that kind of stuff. Um, so they handle all of those uh, conversations and inquiries kind of in you know, their own different way. Uh, but for us and like my department, kind of the national digital department, um, we bring people in, immediately have a phone call. We kind of map out what's going on. And then we have kind of a list of what's like our next steps for each one. And usually, you know, um, I've been working on rock for almost 10 years because, you know, I'm pretty fortunate to see the progress that has been made and people kind of coming through our door, worried and scared and a bit hopeless and then leaving, feeling really empowered and like understanding their power in the workplace and what they can actually do when they bring people together. That's, that's fantastic. And that's, that's one of the things that I really like about the movement that's been forming over the last year or two uh, that I accidentally fell into that brought us here today. Like uh, there was this constant narrative that like we owe the employers something right like there that our time isn't worth anything except for what they say it is and we should be thankful that they're employed 
that we that we get to be employed with these guys. And, uh, you know, when the minimum wage was instituted, I hear people talk all the time about how uh, the minimum wage was never meant to be a living wage. But FDR, when he was fighting for the minimum wage to be implemented, strictly said the living wage is meant to be a living wage and no person who does business in our country and wants to pay their workers less than a living wage should do business in our country. And that was the the founding principle behind implementing this in the first case. And since we got to be honest here, restaurant workers get the brunt of a lot of this, right? And you guys work specifically with restaurant workers. Uh, the federal minimum wage as it sits is currently 213, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah, for servers and tip staff, it's been stuck at $2.13 since 1991. So for 30 years, those folks have not gotten a, a real wage increase. Yeah, and that's I've, I have taken, uh, I've taken server jobs at that rate in states where it was still the minimum. When I first moved up to Georgia for a little bit, uh, my tipped wage was two thirteen an hour at a Chili's. And uh, we were required to report 8% of our of our uh, sales as tips. But this was an area where people weren't even tipping 8%, right? So there were days where I actually didn't make money on my shift. Mind you, those shifts were much easier than a Friday night shift where sure. I had no room to breathe. But the the contrast of there's supposed to be a minimum amount that we're we're given for trading our time for labor, and that amount hasn't gone up in years. Whether it's uh, tipped employees or the the federal minimum is seven twenty five, and that's been there for what since like ninety eight or something. Yeah, and that's yeah. and and that's you know only two dollars an hour higher than what it was the thirty years before that. So. Meanwhile, we have inflation in corporations that are posting record profits year after year, uh, but they're saying we can't afford to pay you because the cost of business is going up. It's like the cost of business going up would mean that your profits didn't grow each year with this. That means that the amount you're willing to pay is not coinciding with the amount you're making. Uh, like this sort of fake inflation that's happening. And, you know, that's a word that we've been hearing a lot recently. Uh, yeah. And you're... In the area you're in, uh, there's a lot of industry and a lot of restaurants. How does the current climate of the the whole no one wants to work uh, mindset that these uh, asshole business owners, the best word I can use for them, because there, there are good business owners out there, but how do the ones that are crying they can't find work and find help, how does that coincide with, uh, in your experience, what you've seen in your city? Yeah, I mean, we just kind of go back for a second and we talked about low wages. The Department of Labor, every year they come out with like the 10 lowest paying jobs in the, in the whole country, occupations. And every time, majority of those are in the restaurant industry. It's just like guaranteed one industry takes up the bulk. Um, in terms of, you know, here in Pittsburgh, right, where I live, how the industry kind of acts, um, I got involved with this organization because the city of Pittsburgh, you know, it's, it was known as a steel city, tons of industrial activity. Today, in the city of Pittsburgh, there isn't a single steel mill left. There's some in the outskirts and the edge of the county, that kind of stuff. But everywhere where there were these large steel mills and blast furnaces and other industrial activity, if you go there today, what you see is restaurant and retail. And that's true for a lot of cities in America. These were once good paying jobs, often unionized jobs. In our case, it was at the U.S. Steel, so it was the United Steel Workers. Um, but off, more often than not, they were good union paying jobs. 
And now there are jobs where, as you said, working at Chili's, you know, some days you, you go home not making any money and you're banking on the weekends to actually get some real income to pay your bills. So we've seen an entire um, industrial change, economic change in the world we live in today, whether it's Pittsburgh or any other city. Um, you can't just kind of skip college and find a great paying job down the street at the, at the mill, right? Um, it's a whole different animal. And it's a it's an obligation on us to do something about it because otherwise we're going to be working these same jobs to her eighty years old. Yeah, my gr- my grandmother she she's in the service and hospitality industry, and she to this day uh, still has to work every day. There's no there's no retirement for her. She doesn't have uh you know her option. She lives in Key West, one of the most expensive cities to live in in the country, and. Uh, what SSI would give her if she retired uh, doesn't actually pay for a week's rent in that town. That's I had to leave that town because of that. And it's funny because a lot of employers down in Key West, when I left there, they uh, feel like offering you $15 an hour is like, oh, but we're paying you $15 an hour. That's good money. It's like a one bedroom apartment is $2,000 a month. So $15 an hour doesn't even get me a home. Uh, so how, how is that good money? And we've seen this and it's, you know, I, I talk about it till I'm blue in the face online all day. I argue with people about it all day. It's that a living wage of 15, when we started fighting for it, like that would have been like the bare minimum to survive. Sure. But where I'm at right now, the area that I live in, it's $17 and 50 cents an hour for a single childless person to have minimum wage and that's the bare minimum and that's not even counting for luckily in florida we don't have uh heating bills but we you know we still got to stay cool in the summer because that's just as rough um and then now we have what i see is going to be a big problem in our restaurant industry uh i was working at a pizza place we have a beach that was entirely based on tourism that the entire beach got washed away by hurricane ian uh then we have Cape Coral, all of our barrier islands here, they've, they, you know, the restaurants there, half of them aren't reopening. Some of them like have plans to reopen, but we'll see how quickly that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still areas in our County that don't have power or internet. And while, uh, in New York city post nine 11, it was, you know, even though it was a, a smaller area of destruction, it, it still created ripples throughout the city for years that I'm sure you guys are still dealing with there. Uh, and when people are dealing with a disaster situation like that, have you guys worked with anyone like after like Hurricane Katrina, for example, in those situations or what's uh Yeah, I mean just you know, most recently, uh the pandemic was our biggest one. You know, we we gave out we raised about a million dollars, a little over a million dollars, and gave it out to people in the restaurant industry, pretty much just like, you know, show us like a, a pay stub and that's good enough for us. Here's three hundred dollars. Um, sometimes a bit that's more. fantastic that's that's really cool uh yeah because the pandemic changed the way we looked at everything uh even if you know you're looking at especially in restaurants key west we closed the entire island was closed for two months and it was just wow. done and some people ended up on uh you know unemployment and stuff but a lot of 1099 workers and all that yeah uh, were, were denied at first right because they they weren't uh they were just so what, whatever off books it's considered and, and, and it's not really off books though. You still have to make reports. You still have to do your own taxes. It's just, you're off the boss's books. So you guys, uh, you're saying you saw a lot of, uh, so, so to speak, a uh, jump in requests for aid in this situation during the pandemic across the board. 
Absolutely. And really, like you mentioned Florida. So, okay, the pandemic hit. We try to raise as much money as we can. It all like we gave it all away in like weeks. Right. Because like even a million dollars, we think of an industry that at one point was employing, you know, over 10 million people. That money just disappears overnight pretty much with demand. In places yeah. like Florida, you know, each state has their own unemployment laws and most of them are pretty awful. And in places like Florida, you know, where the tip minimum wage is low and say if you don't, you know, claim a lot of your tips, uh, not only is it you already kind of like in a lower bracket, but they don't pay that much in the first place, even if you qualify. So you may be normally making, you know, I don't know, a, a thousand a week or, you know, $800 a week. And that's going to, when the pandemic hit, that shrunk all the way to like $200 a week. And that's if you even got into the system. Um, that's most yeah, the, min- the minimum was a hundred bucks a week and the maximum they were paying out during the pandemic was two fifty a week. Yeah. And that's, uh, I'll touch on that in a little bit too. Cause I, some of my, the Joey Holtz experiment, uh, was solely based on the math I did on Florida's unemployment numbers. <laughs> yeah. So that, this will be like my one plug. We have this kind of, uh, new like narrative we call the restaurant worker bill of rights and it's a response to the pandemic. And it's like, not only do we need to raise the wages to a thriving wage, you need paid sick days, but there are all sorts of other issues like unemployment that we just don't look at enough and it needs to be fixed because it's it's a broken system where people can't survive on unemployment for more than, I mean, they can't survive on a period, but in a, in a few months, like they will have to find a job. And if there's no job, you know, it, it, it gets ugly quickly. Um, so if people want to get involved with our work, you can just text us. Uh, the number is 40817. You can text ROCK, R-O-C, to 40817. We'll, we'll plug into the campaign. But yeah, unemployment, it's a, uh, it is an absolute mess. And in states like Florida, it's designed to be a mess because they don't want people on it. Absolutely, yeah. Like getting through in the first place here was just an absolute nightmare. Uh, I'm going to put up on the screen here a uh, little, this is going to show, that's the right. Yep. So you just text 40817 for the Restaurant Opportunity Center and someone from your organization will get back to them. Yeah, you and type, uh, type ROC to 40817. Yeah. Perfect. So text, let me switch that over. I'm still new at all this uh, StreamYard stuff. I just started using this software. It's pretty cool. My guys over at uh, Do Dissidents turned me on to it. Uh, so text ROC. 40817. And it's one of those things where like the first message will make an automated bot, but after that first, like they ask for your name. After that, I I answer it or my coworker Taylor, and then we'll uh, talk to you about whatever's happening at your workplace and everything's going good. Then we'll talk about more of the policy campaigns in different states, that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And uh feel free, like as we're as we're going through this, feel free to plug away as much as you want. That's the whole reason I started this podcast. And uh it's it's really just because workers' voices need to be heard, and it's really hard to find resources for help in these situations, right? Because most people's attitude about it is just buck up, suck it up, grab your bootstraps, and keep doing the thing. Nobody likes their job, buddy. And it's yeah. like, you know, we, we, we live in a society where we should have progressed beyond that at this point. Like, we're automating all these jobs uh, where we're, we're not even as an American as, as, as the country of America, like we don't even create anything anymore, like, except for, uh, you know, 
political sound bites for people in the rest of the country to laugh at. Like, oh, that's just them silly Americans. We're like the Florida of the world, kind of. <laughs> as, as, as a Florida man myself, I, I'm allowed to say that. Uh, luckily, though, uh, with that, my experiment, like uh, my Florida man headline didn't say Florida man arrested. It said Florida man tested. So I feel like that was slightly better, I guess. Uh, and that's where when I did the math on the unemployment numbers, when I kept hearing this chorus of no one wants to work and, 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 and we can't find help and all these freeloaders on unemployment, like when I did my experiment, it was at the end of unemployment, unemployment ended September 4th of that month and of, uh, 2021. And even if you were one of the people who got to stay on it that long, right? Let's say you wrote it out the whole pandemic and, and you figured out a way to live your life on that bare minimum amount of money they were sending because in June we had even cut off the extra federal money. So it yeah. was like, you know, it was, you're making a hundred to $250 a week. If you were doing that and starting in June of that year, you had to fill out applications and log those applications with the unemployment program, or you would lose it. So at the time, there were about 8 million jobs available. According to Florida's own unemployment website, there were 8 million jobs available. And according to the numbers of people on there, there were 10 million people submitting five applications a week to these 8 million available jobs. Now, tell me that there's not something wrong with that. And that, and if I can see this, if I could do that quick, simple math, by I can do that math in my head, right? So we've got 10, uh, we've got 2 million people were still on a, unemployment on the last day of the pandemic unemployment program. And those people had to put out, let's say, an average of five applications a week. That's 10 million applications a week. And that that was the people who made it to the end uh, up until that, you know, that doesn't count the people that had gotten off of it with more jobs. So we're looking at hundreds of millions of applications over a couple of months that went unanswered. And what why are we not holding these employers accountable for saying they were hiring and not right? Why? Why weren't we looking in that direction? And instead, everyone just assumed, let's just blame the workers. Uh, with me, it, it was a lot of, uh, you know, oh, well, his criminal record must be this, or uh, obviously he's not good at this, or, you know, they, people who didn't know me at all from across the country just had all these reasons why I wasn't good enough for, for these entry level, no experience required jobs at the age of 38. And like, I, you know, I mean, I've managed to, even when I'm not working, I'm, I'm, I'm always working, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're doing the thing. And when you take away uh, the need to just fight for survival and you give people what they need to survive, you, you know, if they have food, housing and shelter security, then people are going to be more industrious. I think that's what all of these businesses don't understand. If you take away that, that struggle, people will create better things for everyone. Like any of our economic booms, any of, of our, of our renaissances, so to speak throughout history came from, when people were no longer fighting for survival. Because uh, that's, in my opinion, when I do my best work. Sure. Uh, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not that no one wants to work. It's that no one wants to work for minimum wage. And that's just exactly. like plain simple. We've never had like a job shortage of CEOs, right? And it's because they get paid good money. It's a very simple thing of like, you just pay people more and it'll solve the problem. And that's what we saw like in Pittsburgh, for example, there was an ice cream shop that raised their wages, I think, like $17 an hour last summer. And just like that, they had hundreds of applications. Just like Weird. that. <laughs> you pay them more. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
So it's, uh, you know, actually we started doing more satirical work on our social media, just like putting up, you know, these employers will put up these like posters of no most to work and all this other kind of nonsense. Um, and it's become a thing where people start really calling them out. And I think we are seeing a slight shift culturally of like, you can't just put up these signs to say no one wants to work. There is, I think, a, a societal like shift of like, it's not a labor shortage, it's a wage shortage. And Absolutely. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And they, and they, for forever, and the people, and you know, I don't like uh, being ageist any more than I like being classist, but uh, the boomers, especially, a lot of people in that age range, uh, they grew up in a situation where, starting out a minimum wage job gave you enough money to buy your truck and start making payments on your first house. And once not having to worry about how you're going to get to a job and where you're going to live was taken away uh, and you didn't have to worry about that, then they, they could afford to look for something better. And there were opportunities out there, but a lot of these uh, jobs in those sectors that you used to be able to do, they've been slowly phased out either by automations or, you know, the throwaway culture, like we used to have a repair shop for everything on every corner, right? There's, there's a guy who'd fix your shoes. You got a guy here that'll fix your TV. Like people used to be able to find the thing they liked doing and carve out their little corner in society where they were now working for themselves and doing that. And then they built their own business from the ground up and they were happy because that, that used to be a thing we could do in this country. But uh, I saw a post the other day and it was, you know, this guy had started working at a restaurant when he was 18 and lived in his little $700 a month apartment and then went to school to be a lawyer, right? And then now as a lawyer at almost 40, that same little apartment that he lived in is now $2,500 a month on the beach and outside of his price range with what he makes at the law office. So it's, and this is across the board places. I used to be able to find a place to live for less than a thousand bucks a month, you know, by myself, but mm -hmm. the cheapest one bedroom apartment here in the Lee County area, you know, they're going for 1400, 1600. And now, uh, post hurricane Ian, I have to imagine our housing problem here is only going to go up. I'm, uh, not looking forward to seeing the, the changes. We are in a nice little bubble. I feel like right now after any disaster, uh, everyone kind of pulls together and it's one of my favorite parts about, uh, the aftermath of a hurricane. I, I was in hurricane Andrew as a kid, but seeing people go out of their way to help each other. Once the internet's off, like once the power's out, you know, uh, your power's gone, you don't have water. We've got water, but no power, but you can come use the shower people setting up and giving free food on the corner. Uh, all of a sudden everyone starts looking out for each other and providing care and support to people who can't care for and support themselves in that situation. And so we have these examples the, every time this happens of, of this working, right? If you, if you help lift someone out of the, the place they're stuck in and, and you provide these levels of support to whether it's your workers, your employees, your brothers, your sisters, your stranger down the street, all of a sudden, uh, everyone ends up better off. And, and it's this whole, like, fuck you. This is about me mindset that I feel like really, messed everything up in the first place if you think about it like as soon as as soon as we started following uh the supply side trickle down economics policies and like we'll just give these rich people more money and they'll take care of us but we're not them it's the the proletariat versus the bourgeois like and the biggest scam that's been pulled on the workers of our country is that we're 
get to be part of the bourgeois when they are doing everything they can to make sure that we stay firmly in our place as the proletariat. That's that's just what they do. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't know. There's so much to unpack with the restaurant industry and the dynamics and everything. And for us, it's like all they got to do, these employers, is pay a fair wage. That solves so much, right? It's like it's just a, it has been a it's been a frustrating experience to kind of see the way employers treat staff and be like, we're going to pay the bare minimum. And they would pay less if they could, but it's against the law. And yet sometimes they still do it and we catch them and that kind of stuff. Um, we try to partner with employers who, who want to do better. Uh, they're not easy to find always, but they are out there. So it's part of our hope to try to you know push them up further, uh, kind of create a new norm. And to your point about almost like community, you know, the Internet is a lot of things, good and bad. The one thing we have seen is there's way more people kind of finding their community and realizing that their trouble is not just theirs. Like there's something bigger going on here. And if they band together with others, there is some change that can happen. Um, and you, I just think of like everything that's happened. You think of like the Me Too movement. You know, that was a Twitter thing. That was everyone realizing it's not just their workplace. It's something much bigger. Um, so I try to remain hopeful um, that, you know, brighter days are ahead. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of my things that I'm, I really find to be best since, since the pandemic is people were seeking that sense of community while being told they couldn't go out and be part of their community. So a lot of people ended up online and doing the online application thing, applying at restaurants, applying for the jobs, applying for remote work. And the entire situation shifted. And all of a sudden, a lot more people heard like, I've been applying for jobs online since probably when I lived in California in 2010. I've always been very into tech. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try and you know use this tool. Uh, and I've always had very uh, shitty luck with it uh, in certain aspects. After a while, you get used to what words to ignore and like what listings look legit and what listings don't. And, uh, it, you know, that took a long time. So a bunch of people who had never had to deal with this before, they went trying to use these same tools and and ran into the scams and the you know getting their information stolen and oh, social securities and all this and all of a sudden they're like you know what these these guys like it was it was exactly like that a lot of people were like that happened to me as well and we started talking about it and then like you know some people are out there saying no one wants to work seriously then there was uh, a group that i became a part of the no one wants to work group on facebook where you know we're making fun of people saying that stuff and i i fell in with those guys uh when my experiment blew up because uh, that's one of the places that got shared a lot and this this idea that that everyone's just lazy and nobody wants to work it is false all of these stories that we started sharing and, and, and it started with memes and then it became like support for each other and and it was like we're all telling the same story with the same villain with a different name mm -hmm. and 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 none of these things are happening for the employers who pay their employees properly. Like I know many restaurateurs that have had no problem staffing, even through the pandemic, they gave their people bonuses when they had to lay them off for the pandemic. As soon as they could open their doors, they brought them back. And so, and I like to bring things into the positive. So you said there are, there are organizations that you guys work with as well, that actually take care of their workers and you try and be a proponent for them. Right. 
Yeah, it's um, we call it our high road program. It's like a metaphor of people taking the high road to prop, you know, better profits or better, you know, better jobs, that kind of stuff. So there are some employers out there and I could I could get you a list of people we've worked with in the past. Um, and honestly, it's not even in an exhaustive list. Like there are a lot of people out there doing the right thing that we haven't you know, met with. Um, in our own, like my own backyard here, Pittsburgh, um, a few places that, you know, really try to do well. Um, and I think, I think there are some, uh, there are, there are some industry shifts, obviously places like, you know, you think of the big chains like Olive Garden, TGI Fridays and Chili's, well, they're just going to be soulless till they go bankrupt. Um, but there are a lot of smaller places that we see where, you know, someone started out in the industry and they were a chef or whatever. Now they're an owner and they know what like the grind is like. They know what it's like to work in the dish pit and, you know, not be home for the holidays because you're, you know, working, serving other people. Um, so there is some some hope to be had, uh, but it's only going to happen if we bring those folks into the picture. We do some, you know, it, politics is frustrating for us. We engage with everything, though. So that, that means we got to go meet with legislators. We're going to do that. Because we know, at the same time, the National Restaurant Association—they're doing those lobby visits. So if they're there, we got to be there as well. We got to be, uh, you know, picketing in front of restaurants if that's what it takes. We got to be a Capitol Hill lobbying if that's what it takes. Absolutely, and that—that's another thing I like to tell people: uh, there are no party lines or politics when it comes to worker solidarity. Those don't matter. If you believe that you and your time matter, then you must also believe that the man standing next to you on that line, his time matters as well. And one of the biggest wedges that they've driven is like that, you know, it's this red versus blue and all this. And it, but, it, but it's not that at the end of the day, the real lines are drawn on where the wealth is being kept and hoarded and where the labor is being taken advantage of. And if we could just, I'm a I'm a pragmatic anarchist, you might say, like I like the concept of anarchy, but I understand that we cannot have that. I and I'm pragmatic in so far as that we don't need to completely change. We're not trying to take anyone's millions of hard earned dollars away. It, I'm hard pressed to believe that anyone with millions and millions of dollars earned it in a hard way, uh, you know, but I, I I can't speak for any experience but my own. But what I can say is those business owners that take less profit and give more to the people who provide the labor, which is where their, their service, their product comes from, you know, your restaurant doesn't work without servers. Your, your mm -hmm. bar doesn't sell its own drinks. Uh, unless you're that dude from the, the, all oh, that dumb bar rescue show that's trying to open that like completely automated restaurant where the only people in it are there to smile right. while the robots do all the work. Well, I, I stuff out there. It's, it's, it's crazy, but I, I would like to take this time to say that I do uh, appreciate our robot overlords. If they do take over, I wouldn't want to disparage them. However, I think that we're never going to be in a situation where you won't need people to power your business. This, we, we are the most important resource and not just in business, but, but in each other's lives on the planet, because just because someone doesn't have a, a, a labor value to to a, a business or company concept doesn't mean that person has no value. Right. And that's, that's part of the, the fine line with the walk. It's like people start thinking of humans as a commodity to be bought and sold as cheaply as possible. And that, you know, that's, 
something that we fought really hard against not doing anymore in this world, right? Like slavery yeah, is yeah. bad. And it's uh, to see the shift in, in the wrong direction that some businesses are taking it. And to also see the people who get it going the right direction. Uh, that's, that's what does give me hope. And that's, if there's anything that I can take from everything that I've, I've experienced in the past year uh, with all this is that, is that there is hope and, and I've been hooked up with a couple of organizations like this. Uh, there's uh, this guy, uh, Patrick, that uh, I met through the uh, one of the groups. And he does uh, – his organization is called Works. It's W-O-O-R-C-S. And uh, mm. they're working on uh, setting up cooperative business models with businesses that are looking to get more into uh, worker-owned cooperatives, uh, corporate uh, cooperating with workers and things like that. And I think that – the more of this that we can do, the more that we understand that that people are the most important resource and we have to treat them with the love and respect that human beings deserve, then everybody ends up happier. Like, and I, I wish it wasn't so hard to get people to, to see that, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's tough. You know, I, when people like come to rock today, like our organization, they kind of like, don't see it. A lot of folks haven't seen the progress in the past 10 years. I've seen, all of these battles being won, um, whether it's cultural or legislative, you know, we have paid sick days in dozens of cities and now in states. Um, and we look at like Starbucks, the organizing that's having a Starbucks with unionizing. I mean, it's like, that's a real movement that 10 years ago, like, you know, everyone thought, you know, labor unions were dead and some of them are dead, but there was a new wave. One year, one year ago, one year ago today, there was no such thing as a Starbucks union. There was no such thing as an Amazon union a year ago. Uh, we yeah. were, you know, and the unions that were out there, people were, you know, dunking on and talking shit. And then we watched the, the, the Kellogg's workers strike and stuff happen and, and actually come to terms successfully on the side of the workers. And then, uh, what's his name? Uh, I believe it's a Chris, Chris Smalls from Amazon yeah. getting that going on. Like uh, we now have not just these old timey ideas of these unions, but now we have seen what happens when places we never thought we would see them are, are being unionized. And I think that is, if there's anything that we've done in the past year that I'm super proud of, it's that like, I, I want to say that the last I looked at it, there was 50 or 60 unionized Starbucks stores now. And that's just, that makes me happy, right? That's, that means that the work is working. Yeah. Uh, it's going uphill. Like there's, you say there's 50 right now. There's going to be hundreds, you know, and Starbucks, when I think about it, it's like, this is the most powerful, you know, coffee shop probably in the world. They have more resources than any other company to stomp out a union. And despite that, there is no ca coffee shop that is unionizing more than Starbucks right now. Like the people who can fight the most are losing the most. That's a real like moment to reflect of like there is a power shift happening at Starbucks, at Amazon, as you mentioned. I saw I think it was earlier this week at a Lowe's in somewhere in the south at a, at a right to work state. Uh, they filed for unionization. I mean, it's a uh, it's groundswell, right? It's not institutional money going in. These are people who are saying I've had enough. I'm going to sacrifice whatever it takes. But damn it, there's going to be a union in here before I leave. Yeah. And that's that it. it 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 makes it makes it makes it seem attainable because it is now we've seen examples this thing that they told us you can't do this no one will go for it it's not going to happen well it 
it can, it did, and it's continuing to. And the only way that we get to keep doing that, right, is is working together, worker solidarity. It's 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 that simple. There's, you know, for every one CEO of the company, there are anywhere from 10 to 10,000 workers, right? So at the end of the day, the power is in our hands. The labor comes from from our time, from our our work. And some people find it hard to advocate for themselves and that's okay. That's, that's where I, I don't work at Walmart. I don't work at Amazon. I don't work at Starbucks. I can talk shit about those corporations all I want and let people know, Hey, you need to do better. And, and the more organizations I meet that give these opportunities to people like the restaurant opportunity center. Now, now anyone who hears or sees this, that didn't know that you guys were there before, all they got to do is text ROC to 40817 and, and you can be their voice. And that's, that's something that is, that is what's most empowering is that all we have to do is stand up and speak up because us being quiet and restaurant workers saying, Oh, well, that's just the way it is. Uh, We can't do anything to change it. That's, that's just going to lead to nothing getting changed. But if enough of us st- stand up and say, hey, follow us, let's go, then then we can make these changes. And that's that's honestly the coolest thing about living in the times that we live in. Because, you know, if you told me that I'd be sitting here talking about these things five years ago, I'd have been like, no, I'm going to go back to my my pizza shift and stand next to that oven with no air conditioning for the next eight hours and be happy that they gave me a paycheck, you know. And, and I don't, I do it to my own detriment sometimes where I end up in these situations. I, I lost my job at a pizza place that will not be named uh, because there's a slash through it now Um, because they not only wanted me to stay past the, the time that I should have been home the night before the hurricane preparing my home, like they sent this like really shady, you know, manager's text at the end of it. That's what we were talking about earlier. And it's like, like, like I'm the bad guy for wanting to go home and, and protect the place that I have to sleep at night. And then to be like, you know, just, just shoving us the next day. They're like, well, we didn't lose power or water. We need you guys in here right away. I'm like, uh, we, we need to get these trees out of the road. Uh, there's no, yeah, like, like by the time I got that message, it was, six hours after the message was sent because there was no communications. And uh, I had really liked working for these guys before, but there were red flags. Like they made me part of the management team within a week. I didn't apply to be a manager. Uh, and so they, they wanted the skills that, that I possessed and, and it was valuable enough to them to, to hand me this title and ask me to do these things. But then uh, the second that I'm not like, Oh yes, let's, let me just do whatever you want guys. They're like, actually, no, uh, taking care of yourself that that's not okay we need you to take care of us first uh and i've been through these hurricanes so like i knew what was coming the second that storm turned in towards us uh and it, and it really upset me and it ended up within within a couple of days uh my coworker who had lost his car and had a hole in his roof and still like got back from evacuating and he showed up to work that day and he was like hey listen guys i'm trying my hardest but like you know this is heartbreaking my life is 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 in ruins right now and they're like yeah, you're not really producing fast enough, guy. We're going to need you to, to shut that down and speed it up. And he's like, man, if they keep coming back here and saying this, I'm leaving. I'm, and I was like, bro, if you leave, I'm out. I was like, I honestly, and I said, don't don't wait. It's a couple times now, I said, the next time they say something like that to you, they can keep this apron and we're done. 
I was like, this is, this is uncalled for. So not even 30 seconds later, they come back, where's that thing? And I looked over at him. He looked over at me. I'm like, I got you. And then my boss was like, what are you doing? I went back and talked to him and I explained, this is what we spoke about. This is how he feels. And I got to say, to be honest, I feel the same way. Uh, and that's why we're leaving. Are you willing to compromise? I can probably talk him into coming back in if we can come to some sort of arrangement. He's like, no, if you guys are just going to leave us in the middle of this, then just go. And we're like, bye. You know, sucks. I liked, they paid well. Uh, but there is no amount of money that uh, is going to take away my desire to be treated like a human being. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you still have to have some sort of compassion for the people who are operating your business or you're not going to have a business that long. And hopefully more people can see that. Right. Like that's that's really where I want to see all this go. Yeah. There's so many workplaces where the toxicity is normalized and in particular in the restaurant industry where you're just you're expected to put up with it, you know? Yeah. Um, like, oh, the chef was only screaming at you because he had to be loud. It's like, well, you don't have to scream. You can you can speak loudly, promptly, and curtly without being an asshole about it. Like, yeah. well, I, I applaud both of you for walking out and knowing your power, right? I mean, that's what that's what you know. I think changes some employers' minds. Where I'm, I imagine twenty minutes later, they're like, oh shit, we got to do something about this. You know, they need to hire people asap, or they got to work on the line. They got to do something, but. Um, a lot of folks, I understand why people stick around. They can't afford to, to leave, but those who can, you know, afford to do it, like exercise your power, you know, pick it, go on strike, call out the employer, try to negotiate. That's what you got to do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what sucked for me. I, I couldn't actually afford to lose that job. It, it's, uh, you know, I'm dealing with the repercussions of that now. However, it, uh, it, it's my mental health is more important to me if I, if I being, in a situation that's just going to make things worse is not, that's not going to help me or the restaurant in the long run. Then I'm, I'm going to be putting that hatred into every pizza and, and nobody's going to want that either. So it's, uh, I, I wish, I wish that I could afford to be more proactive. Like I, I wish I could afford to start, uh, my own lobby in Florida to, to unionize Florida, right? Like, uh, I could afford to buy the unionizeflorida.com domain. Uh, I'm going to try and build a website to put on it. I, I, I huh. did purchase that. Um, because I was like, I've got that extra 20 bucks right now. And this is this thing I want to do. Uh, but like Florida and New Jersey are, uh, both right to work States and they both have like some of the worst worker representation. And even the unions we do have in Florida for like our teachers unions and some of the things that just federally having a union for these places is protected but they don't have any real power in a state where you can still be fired for no reason and they say right to work because they say oh well you have the right to leave it's like but what it really does is it gives employers the power to continue uh you know behaving like that uh and that that's something i really want to see change i'm hoping that we can find some more union support here in florida because I talked to so many people who were retired in our state from places like New York and Minnesota and stuff that that got a job at a factory or got a job at a place that had a union, worked their time, got all of the benefits that working for a place with a union had for, you know, however, 20 years, 30 years, yeah. took that money, retired to Florida, and then, you know, started telling me, like I've had this conversation, they're telling me that unions don't work. And I'm like, you wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with me at this bar retired right now if unions didn't work, dude. Like, so why can't I have the opportunities you had? Uh, 
but maybe, yeah. maybe we'll see it come this way. It's, um, you know, unions are like any other human made thing, right? They're not perfect. You have things that go well, things that don't go well, but they definitely serve a purpose and definitely people who have unions end up better than those who don't. Um, in places like Florida, you know, you're talking about unionizing. I feel like Disney is the only place where there's any like real union density. I think Unite Here represents them. Um, even in states like Florida, though, they are still covered by federal labor laws. So there aren't too many protections, but they still are, for example, like covered by the National Labor Relations Act. So say if you're speaking up about working conditions saying, hey, my coworker shouldn't be treated like that, and they fire you both on the spot, you actually do have some rights and you can file what they call an unfair labor practice charge with the National Labor Relations Board. It's free to file. It takes maybe takes maybe five minutes to actually file it and maybe six months for the whole process. Um, so there are very limited, but there are some rights we do have in Florida and in some other, uh, you know, primarily southern states where, you know, folks really feel disenfranchised. I mean, I get it. Um, but if you here's a, another like, plug, if you have been terminated or retaliated against for speaking up, whether you're in Florida, anywhere else in the country, you do have some rights and reach out to us. There are statutes of limitations, but we'll happily talk with you and explore what options you may have, because you only find out by trying. You know, wow! I, uh, I I may be texting ROC to four zero eight one seven here after we uh, log off. Um, that's I I hadn't even thought of that. I just you know I was just happy to not be putting up with the crap. I didn't even think about filing a thing with them because you know I'd only been there for a month. But you know they put me in the manager's chat like I worked there. It was I might just do that. This we might have we might have uh, I'm I'm probably going to be the next person to text that number uh, because I would I would like to see these types of things if employers know that there will be repercussions for these actions, uh, then hopefully that will cause them to behave better. I wish that they just did behave better, but that's not the reality of the, of the world we live in right now. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a, to your point about like the, you know, these rights or whatever, I can give a quick example of like what that kind of looks like. So here in Pittsburgh at this one restaurant, um, Maybe in December of last year, there was a, a COVID outbreak at this restaurant and management didn't tell anyone. And people were like, hey, you got to communicate that because we're all working together. And it was a whole mess. Um, so people were pretty irate and they spoke up about it and they fired a few people. We helped them file uh, with the National Labor Relations Board. The process is straightforward. You fill out the simple online form. They call you in one to three weeks. You do an affidavit, basically a long interview. They interview the employer, do the same exact thing. They kind of look at, do investigation. Uh, in this case, we did win uh, for all those workers. So they got back pay, maybe some like type of damages or something small. But more importantly, the employer had to text everyone who was working there, telling them that they broke the law and that they have the right to speak up about working conditions. They have to put up a big poster right in the middle of the workplace that acknowledges that they broke federal labor law. And this is the kind of stuff that really changes the dynamic of the restaurant because most folks don't know their rights and they don't know that there are ways to be more powerful than the actual employer itself. Um, and obviously we don't win everything, but you know, you got to fight, you got to try. Uh, otherwise you're guaranteed to lose. Yeah. You don't, you don't win if you don't play. Right. Yeah. And, and these guys need to have some accountability. Well, it's been, it's been really awesome talking to you, Jordan. We're, we're getting close to the hour. So we'll start wrapping it up here. Um, feel free to, Tell us um, your website, 
Uh, we showed that people can text ROC to 4817. Um, if you'd like to uh, leave in the comments after you get off, uh, after we get off on this video, type in on the comments any of your information that's going to help people get in contact with your restaurant opportunity centers across the country where you're representing people, uh, and let people know that there's 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 hope out there for them. I think that's uh, that's really important. And if you want to tell us about it now for our audio listeners. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Once again, um, if you have any questions, if you have any issues, or if you know of anyone who's had issues in the restaurant industry, whether it's just uh, you know a minor inconvenience, or you think it may be a lawsuit, or if you're looking to actually be politically involved or advocacy, if you think there's something that could be passed in your municipality, uh, reach out to us. The the phone number is if you text ROC to four zero eight one seven. Our website is rocunited.org, rockunited.org. We're on all the social media platforms, even TikTok, believe it or not. Uh, that's where all the cool kids seem to be you know, lurking nowadays. Um, and that's pretty much it. We're, we try to be a watchdog of the restaurant industry, and we try to do our best. So, uh, Joey, I really appreciate you having me on, and maybe we can do it again soon because there's always – Unfortunately, new problems in the industry. So, absolutely, I, I appreciate you coming on as well. And it's I learned a lot of new stuff today. Um, and anyone who's listening, remember, Pragmatic Anarchist Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms: Spotify, Apple, Google, all the things. Uh, my website is www.mohawkjoey.com. Uh, I update that as often as I can. Uh, but the the streaming of the podcast from there always works. Uh, also Mohawk Joey on Facebook, Mohawk Joey on YouTube, all the things that have been scrolling across the bottom of the screen there today. Uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Mohawk Joey. If you like what I'm doing and want to continue to support me in my endeavors of speaking up for the working class, please feel free to join my Patreon as well. Uh, and once again, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, you have a wonderful evening. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. All right, I'm going to end broadcast. Yeah.